Hello. This is Beto O'Rourke, the race to restore rights in Texas on The Daily Show. Doesn't it seem like your oh, search no, engine... No, 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 shout out to KMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona. And KPYT, Pasquayaki Tribal Radio, on the rest with Trista Show. <laughs> Who's the next governor of Texas? Yay! And it sucks ass. Welcome back to the Daily Show. Thank you for having me back. You are back on the campaign trail, this time for a different position, governor of Texas. It is... It's an interesting time to be dealing with politics in Texas because it feels like everything is happening in and around Texas. So let's let's jump straight into it. You know, uh, you've run before. You came super close. You didn't take it. What do you think will be different this time and why? It's really about where Texas is and what Texans are willing to do about it. So um, you mentioned all these things that are coming to a head in our state. We have the most extreme abortion ban in America. Mm -hmm. No exception for rape or incest begins at conception. Um, Speaking of democracy and the right to vote, it is harder to cast a ballot or get on the rolls in Texas than any other state in the union. It's been 17 weeks since those 19 kids and two teachers were killed in Uvalde. Gun violence, the leading cause of death for kids and teenagers in that state. But instead of succumbing to the temptation to despair or submitting to this, Texans are rising up and they're volunteering on this campaign. They're knocking on doors. They're turning out in record numbers. And they're going to win this election in November, which is really a referendum on all these issues. Are we going to be defined by this extremism and our hatred and the way Mm -hmm. that we make each other afraid of one another? Are we going to come together and do big things together? So it's it's an exciting time to be doing this and a great state to be in. And we're going to win. You know, there's no there's no denying that you you've always had a charismatic way about you. There's no denying that you've been really popular on the national stage. Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes it feels like the majority of Texas isn't exactly on the same page that you are. You know, a good example is is the busing stunt that's happening right now, you know, with Greg Abbott busing people to all over the country to prove a point. You're against that. You've spoken out against it multiple times. But more than 50% of Texans go, yeah, this is the right move because it sends a message to Washington, D.C. Uh, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you work that in, in your mind, the, the idea that you are opposed to so many Texans where they say, no, this is actually what we want. I actually think that this extremism that we see in our current governor and government in Texas is reflective of the fact that we have a badly broken democracy. Seven million Texans didn't vote in the last election in 2020. Seven million who are eligible to did not. And if a majority right now thinks that busing migrants to D.C. or Chicago is a good idea, maybe, as you suggested, it's a reflection of the fact that our immigration system is so badly broken and people want to do something. What I propose, though, is instead of these stunts, which are um, so cruel and unkind, not just to those migrants, but to those of us who live in Texas, to the Border Patrol agents who we put on their backs, this entire immigration system that is so badly broken. What if instead we had, for example, a Texas based guest worker program or the ability to join family and not wait 20 years in line, which is the back of the line in Mexico or India or the Philippines to come to the U.S. today. What if you were trying to claim asylum? You didn't wait six years for your claim to be adjudicated, which is the current wait time. What if Texas led the way in rewriting our immigration laws to reflect our values, our interests and our needs? And we say, look, 
You want to come to this country, you must follow our laws. But our laws will follow our values. I want Texas to lead on that. It's, it's admirable. You know, I, I, think, I think it's admirable. I, I, I think you're proposing solutions. But it seems like America is getting to a place where people are less enthused by long-term plans and more riled up by an immediate idea that seems like it will work even if it may not. So, you know, you're out there, you're speaking to people. I know that you knock on doors and talk to people personally. So I'd love to know, have you met a person who doesn't agree with you on immigration, doesn't agree with you on these issues and has changed their mind? And what was it that made them change their mind? It's interesting. We, we were in a town called Hemp Hill in East Texas. And in that county, they, they literally have about 3% high-speed internet access. So huge infrastructure problems there. It's a very red Republican rural county. So half the, the group that comes out is Republican. You know, 20 are wearing Make America Great Again shirts and mm -hmm. Donald Trump hats on. And this guy stands up and asks a very legitimate question. He's wearing a Trump hat. He said, my mom immigrated to this country from Canada. And to renew her green card, we had to stand in this line every so often. She worked three jobs because my dad, who was disabled in World War II, fighting for this country, could not work. I started working when I was 14 years old. We, we played by the rules. Uh, we followed the law. And I don't know why, Beto, people are coming in between ports of entry right now and, and not following our laws. And I think his anger was legitimate. Mm -hmm. um, his experience was valid. And he asked a really good question. And so we talked about, you know, is busing migrants fixing this problem at all? Well, no. Is building a, a mile and a half of border wall, which is what Greg Abbott has done, helping anything? Well, no, I guess it's not. Well, what if we address the fact that people have legitimate reasons to want to come here to work or to join family or to seek asylum in a country that is comprised by and large of asylum seekers and refugees? And what if we in Texas, you as a Republican and I as a Democrat, actually led on this issue? And he's nodding his head and comes over at the end of the meeting, shakes my hand and says, you know what, you might have earned my vote by coming out here to Hemp Hill and having this conversation. So it works. Dialogue works. I'm breaking up with coffee. Big coffee. Lied to me. I was promised energy. How do you then bring people together to solve an issue that, you, you know, you talk about in this book, the fight for voting rights? Where America is, is particularly divided right now is how the parties view the issue of voting. You have Donald Trump and the Republicans saying that the election was stolen. There were millions of illegal votes. None of this has been proven. In fact, the opposite has been proven, you know. And, and then on, at the same time, you have Republicans saying, well, if, if Democrats say that we should accept the elections, why don't they accept the elections? You know, after they lose, Stacey Abrams will say it wasn't legitimate. You know, how do you then break that? How do you get beyond that dialogue to even begin the conversation of having everybody vote? It, it, it helps for me at least, to understand that not only can we do what you just described, um, we've done it before against much longer odds. One of the stories that I tell in this book we've got to try is about a black doctor in El Paso, Lawrence Nixon, who never missed an election uh, until the Democratic-controlled legislature in 1923 mm -hmm. outlaws voting by black Texans. Nonetheless, he pays his poll tax the next year, shows up, they say, Dr. Nixon, yeah. you know we can't let you vote. And he says, I know you can't, but I've got to try. For the next 20 years, he fights this battle, a very lonely one, takes it to the Supreme Court, wins two signal victories there. And by 1944, he's helped to integrate elections once again in Texas and has laid the path for LBJ 
to work on and ultimately sign the Voting Rights Act into law in 1965. So if that guy could do it against those odds, then who are we now in Texas who have inherited his sacrifice and his service and his struggle? Uh, we can't squander it. We have to build on it and make sure that we win it back. So in our campaign, we're targeting the very voters who are themselves the targets of suppression and mm -hmm. intimidation to bring them in and make them the margin of victory on election night. We're gonna get our democracy back. It's a very difficult margin to climb. Wish you the best of luck. Thank, Thank you so much you. for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me out. We'd like to try. Is it better or not? Better or work, everybody. We need a blue tsunami, man. I know exactly how to do that. We did to hold them accountable for January 6th and disqualify them all. <laughs> That'll Then they'll be kicked out of the race, and then, then it'll be a fucking blue tsunami. <laughs> and it won't be just a uh, blue wave, it'll be a freaking tsunami. You know what I mean? Ooh, one hour ago, things just got worse for the former president. You want to win this car and... <laughs> yeah, he got, uh, did you hear he got indicted by Tish James, the uh, Attorney General for New York, New York. Uh, the Trump Organization, and... She, uh, yeah, she, she's gonna slam him. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Indeed. Freaking great. Welcome, one and all, ladies and gentlemen, to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you... Putin folks, says he's not bluffing about Russia's nukes. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week for former president, the real Dim Shady. <laughs> and things just got a little bit more worser. Because today, New York Attorney General Letitia James, who has been investigating the ex-president's business for three years, made a big announcement. I am announcing that today we are filing a lawsuit against Donald Trump <laughs> for violating the law as part of his efforts to generate profits for himself, his family, and his company. That sound means the ex-president just hit his 1,000th lawsuit. Johnny... <laughs> Mm -hmm. 
Johnny, tell him what he's won. Continued freedom. There are no consequences. Cause and effect is a lie. We're nothing but clusters of matter hurtling through an indifferent universe. I'm going to go eat an entire sheet cake on my brand new dinette set from Broy Hill. Broy Hill, God is dead. Back to you, Steve. Thanks, Johnny. So, so like, what uh, crime did he crime this time? Yeah. Bank fraud, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> and repeatedly. <Yeah>. The <laughs> president the uh, would claim his properties were worth a lot more money than they actually were, so he could use them as collateral for huge loans he desperately needed from banks. And when it comes to faking the numbers, Letitia James isn't. She has the receipts, over 200 of them, including his company claiming that a dozen rent-stabilized apartments were worth more than $49.5 million, when in fact they had been appraised at a combined $750,000. Wow. That is 65 times less money. And it's no surprise, the president is known for inflated assets. <laughs> picture of him playing tennis that's what inspired me to i'm guessing this press conference got the ex-pres rankled to his ankles because the one thing that he hates more than anything is people hearing he's not as rich as he claims he is case in point james revealed his property at mar-a-lago has a value of 75 million dollars not bad but the ex-president had claimed it was worth $739 million. Well, of course, it's worth less now. The FBI took away all the most resellable documents. So, they, they enjoyed that. They enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Enjoy the joke. So what exactly is the family looking at in terms of punishment? Well, the attorney general has asked that a judge revoke the family's business certificate, bar the family from serving as an officer of any business in the state, Yay. and a five-year ban on the family from acquiring real estate or getting business loans from any company in New York. So. So. <laughs> the family would be allowed Here to have goes. a business, be on the board of a business, do real estate business, oh God, get business loans, or rock out to Bachman Turner Overdrives, <laughs> taking care of business. <laughs> and the girls Everything are trying to look pretty, taking care of but that's business. not all. The Attorney General was also wanting a little payback. Literally, she asked for the family to repay $250 million to lenders. Yes. To which the family said, were, what a coincidence. We have a 300 square foot studio. I thought it was repaying um, the people that they ripped off from fraud. But no, it's a lender. Apartment By the way, nobody will lend him money. It's only Deutsche Bank, which is a Nazi Deutsche Bank. And mm -hmm. a China, China Communist Bank. And... <laughs> And Russian oligarch. That's valued at exactly $250 million. Which, we also have a horse. In closing, the Attorney General broke out the rhyming dictionary. Claiming you have money that you do not have does not amount to the art of the deal. 
It's the art, art of, of steel. steel. <laughs> Pretty good. I like it. Pretty good. Uh, we gotta like how long did the attorney general's office work on that one? <laughs> art of the squeal? No, no, wait. Art of congeal? No, art of Shaquille O'Neal. Damn it. <laughs> Put on a pot of coffee. We're here till we get her. Right. <laughs> the legal news today isn't all bad for the former president. Some of it is extraordinarily terrible because he's still in big, big, big trouble for stealing a bunch of classified documents and using them to prop up the short leg yeah, of the Mar-a-Lago Waffle Station. Free? Here's uh, basically where things stand. Last week, a Florida judge who the former president appointed agreed to help him stall the DOJ by ruling that the classified documents should be reviewed by a special master, specifically Judge Raymond Deary. And if you thought the term special master didn't come off as kinky enough, <laughs> meet special master Deary. <laughs> Sounds like an S&M grandma. I'm your special master now, Deary. Okay, you crawl into the red room of pain. You crawl. Listen here, worm. Listen here, worm. You crawl into the red room of pain and you lick the tennis balls on the bottom of my walker. By orthotics. <laughs> Yesterday, Judge Deary grew impatient with the former president's lawyers, and here's why. The ex-president has repeatedly made public statements claiming that he had declassified the records, but neither he nor his lawyers ever made those same assertions in court where they could face penalties for lying. The DOJ, on the other hand, says all the documents are classified, pointing to the evidence that the documents all say classified. <laughs> so the judge straight up asked the ex-president's lawyers, are these declassified? And they said, we can't tell you if those classified documents are classified or declassified, and we can't tell you why we can't tell you, because it's classified. <laughs> Judge Deary did not go for the whole not going to answer you thing, saying, you can't have your cake and eat it. Well, hold on. In this case, that's not actually true, because at Mar-a-Lago, as soon as the ex-president finishes his piece of chocolate cake, what does he get? The most beautiful piece of chocolate cake that you've ever seen. With all this bad news, the ex-president needs, you know, a little pick-me-up, and apparently... He gets it out on the links because we just learned from the New York Times' Maggie Haberman that ever since he's been out of office, a rotating cast of aides has been tasked with following him around the golf course and giving him positive reinforcement <laughs> from Twitter. That is just sad. That is no. so pathetic. Uh, uh, don't worry about the, the federal investigation, Mr. President, because uh, looks like at Q Patriot Linda 845 says... You have much stronger arms than President Brandon. Hashtag MAGA. Hashtag not my little mermaid. <laughs> wow. 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 Really? You heard about that. You heard wow. about the little mermaid thing, right? Yeah. Speaking of people who flatter the former president, Vladimir Putin. Today, Vlad announced a major escalation in his evasion of Ukraine in a rare address directly to the Russian people. Putin gave his address from what appears to be Russia's basement rec room, where he keeps his collection of used phones from 1987. His big announcement was that Russia was calling up roughly 300,000 reservists, including men and women aged 18 to 60 years old. That might change the energy on the battlefield. I'll uh, attack that hill in a second. I got to finish today's wordle.
I'm gonna start with aioli. I'm starting with, no, Crave. Damn it. I forgot my CPAP machine. Alexa, set a reminder to get up three times to pee. <laughs> Putin is so desperate for reinforcements, he's resorted to sending volunteers to the front line with little training. You can spot the newbies right away, especially if they're driving a tank. Putin's announcement seems to have really resonated with the Russian people because right after he spoke, flights leaving Russia sold out and reportedly Russian airlines have been ordered to stop selling tickets to Russian men aged 18 to 65. Hello? Hello, Ron DeSantis? I want to go to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, Yeah, yeah, duh. Duh, I'm Venezuelan. I have great recipe for empanada. Is potato. Putin. Putin's already trying to create. Yeah. Putin's already trying to create his army of the future. Last month. He restored a million-ruble award established by Stalin in 1944 for women to give birth to 10 or more children called the Mother Heroin Award. Because after giving birth to 10 or more children, those mothers are going to want some heroin. <laughs> but the mobilization was the lighter part of Putin's speech because he warned those who tried to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that the prevailing winds can turn in their direction, adding this is not a bluff. First of all, gulp. Second, people who aren't bluffing generally don't say this is not a bluff. I wanna play cards with that guy because I think he's already lost a few hands of strip poker. Putin also, sure. Putin, I <laughs> love his nipples. Putin. This is the BBC. Putin also announced he has plans to have the Russian-occupied parts of Ukraine hold imminent votes on joining Russia. And don't worry about mail-in ballots, because reportedly Russian officials would go door-to-door -door with the police to encourage people freed from Nazism to vote. Because nothing says free from Nazism like police banging on every door and going, open up, it's not the Nazis. <laughs> Let us in and tell us how happy you are that we've invaded you or else we're going to give you a high-caliber I Voted sticker. We've got a great show for you tonight. My guests are Olivia Wilde and Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba. Stick around, won't you? Well, the two worst Freedom, nights yay. of Donald Trump's life so far are election night 2020 and tonight. 
on election night, when Fox called Arizona for Joe Biden, Donald Trump knew, he knew then, that he was going to lose access to the White House and to Air Force One. And that's really all the presidency was to him. But tonight, uh-huh. Donald Trump is staring at the possibility of losing everything, losing uh-huh. everything, uh-huh. including his, his freedom. freedom. Donald Trump began his Lock day by getting hit with the most massive lawsuit he has Hill. ever faced, a lawsuit that could wipe him out and bankrupt his adult children. Fucking great. And Donald Trump ended his day Seize about two hours ago assets. by getting completely crushed, and I mean crushed, by a federal crushed. appeals court in a 29-page opinion and order <laughs> siding completely crushed. with federal prosecutors against Donald Trump in the case of Donald J. Trump versus United States of America. Now, we have spent the last few weeks hell, worrying, Tucker. openly worrying that Donald Trump may have poisoned the federal, federal judiciary to the point where laws do not apply to him. And that was the formally stated position of the Trump-appointed federal judge, Elaine Mercedes Cannon, who decided to appoint a special master to examine all the documents seized by the FBI from Donald Trump's Florida part-time residence because she believes, and she put it in writing, that Donald Trump deserves special treatment in a situation like this, special treatment in American courtrooms. And that was a shocking decision by a federal judge and a shocking order by a federal judge. And you heard a lot of shock about it on this program. And we have insisted on this program with the unanimous agreement of our legal experts that the Trump judge's opinion was untethered to the law. It was a work of legal fiction. And tonight, a three-judge panel of the United States Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit. Ah, uh, no, no, no. What happened? Oh, fuck. We need special treatment because we're going to get some millions out of this fucker. He's got millions to get with. This is really special. What happened, man? Oh, no. Somehow, for some reason. Oh. Presented to us, and we disagree with the federal judge. Right. Work of legal fiction, and tonight, Dang it. a three-judge panel of the United States Court of Appeals for the Eleventh Circuit said, "We agree." They said those two words repeatedly in their twenty-nine pages, and they literally meant we agree with the federal prosecutors. They literally meant we agree with every word the federal prosecutors have presented to us, and we disagree with every word. Donald Trump's lawyers have presented to us, and we disagree with the federal judge who appointed a special master. But that, we agree, also extends, as viewers of this program will know, to mean, in effect, we agree with Andrew Weissman. We agree with Neil Katyal. We agree with Bradley Moss. We agree with Professor Lawrence Tribe. The appeals court agrees with every legal expert guest you have heard on this program for weeks now discussing this case. They agree completely. And here is the possibly most important piece of this agreement. Here is the inspiring part of this agreement that does not appear in the words of the 29-page opinion and order. Here is the reason for hope. Hope that Donald Trump's poisoning of the federal judiciary is not as extensive or successful as it could have been. 
of the three judges who unanimously agreed with the prosecutors in this case and disagreed with Donald Trump, two of them were appointed by Donald Trump. Judge Robin Rosenbaum was appointed by President Obama. Judge Rick Grant was appointed by Donald Trump. Judge Andrew Brasher was appointed by Donald Trump. Their unanimous opinion contains the clearest history of this case yet written. And when describing the government records seized by the FBI at Donald Trump's residence, these judges did not say that those documents belonged to the government. They said that the documents, quote, properly belonged to the people of the United States. The people of the United States. That's who those judges were writing their opinion for. That's who they are representing in that opinion. And in that opinion, the judges said, the United States argues that the district court likely erred in exercising its jurisdiction to enjoin the United States use of the classified records in its criminal investigation and to require the United States to submit the marked classified documents to a special master for review. We agree. The court said that the prosecutor's likelihood of success in pursuing this appeal is so high that they are now granting the prosecutors exactly what they are asking for, the right to continue using the classified documents in their criminal investigation and the right to refuse to give those classified documents to the special master for review. He thought he was going to be able to delay for months and months and months, and uh, they're not <laughs> they're going to do it like this week. I set up a... <laughs> set up the court date for like a couple days. <laughs> ha ha. He's going to jail, Ben Mitchell. He's going to jail. You think so? Yippee. Um, this court said that the district court abused its discretion. You, I uh, think you were asking if he can, he's going to get off. Uh, actually, he, he might, uh, he might be able to avoid jail somehow, but I don't know. There's too many, too many criminal cases against him. I don't, something's going to, something's going to tear him down. Something's going to burn him down. <laughs> he pays. He, he's not as rich as, as you think, Ben Mitzah. He owes a billion dollars to the Chinese communists and the Russian mafia and fucking Nazi Deutsche Bank. And, um, yeah. And his, they're going to call their... They're going to call in their loans. That's what's going to happen. Ha <laughs> Everything's going to just gonna fucking fall like a house of cards. That's my prediction. Ha <laughs> It'll be great. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> I just got a... Uh... Judge Cannon. A what? Premonition? Did you get a premonition, bad man? His, uh, He's going to flee. His uncle's involved in this. They accumulated some kind of wealth that uh, can't be shown to the public, but the, the, the higher-ups know about it. And, uh, mm. Apparently it keeps him from being uh, prosecuted. That he's got wealth? He's got some kind of wealth. Underground wealth that, mm -hmm. that you don't know about, that you can't bring up to the surface, but that the higher ups know about it. 
Mm-hmm. That's feeling that is and his uncle's got something to do with that. Mm. <clears throat> Nikola Tesla, the papers, got something to do with that. Nikola Tesla. They have something. Oh, I think I think it's probably it's probably more um probable that he's threatening the governments with the information that he stole. Um. So that's that's. Maybe one reason why they're being so careful. Whatever it is, or it's so abused slow. her discretion. Whatever it is, and however, and she it did it out, to help Donald Trump based on nothing yeah, that well, exists next, in America. Oh, next the year, appeals court said yeah, the district like court Christmas, made man. no mention in its analysis as like to why or how plaintiff Trump might have an like, individual uh, interest the, in or need for. Quest the classified to documents. Lock up Trump. For our part, we cannot discern why Trump plaintiff show. Trump would have an individual interest in or need for any of the 100 documents with classification markings. The appeals court opinion included a history of the classification of documents beginning with World War One, and introduced elementary concepts of classification <laughs> in instructional passages to Judge Cannon, saying <laughs> a person may have access to classified information a only if, among other requirements, he has a need to know the information. This requirement pertains equally to former presidents. Mm, the appeals court knows. I was what, wondering about what that. Judge like, Cannon why doesn't Biden just say, "Hey, those are my documents"? Have the same rights now. as everyone else who is not president that, and not uh, working not in the government. The judges said plaintiff Trump has not even attempted to show that he has a need to know the information contained in the classified documents. The three-judge panel was paying close attention to what happened in Special Master Raymond Deary's courtroom in Brooklyn yesterday. The judges wrote, plaintiff Trump suggests that he may have declassified these documents when he was president, but the record contains no evidence that any of these records were declassified. And before the special master, Plaintiff Trump resisted providing any evidence that he had declassified any of these documents. And in a panic about classification tonight, Donald Trump actually appeared on Fox in a discussion with Sean Hannity claiming that he did declassify all of those documents and he claimed he can he could declassify documents just by thinking about it actually said that but no trump lawyers dare say anything like that in any of these legal proceedings after pointing out everything that was wrong with judge cannon's approach to the classified documents the appeals court then said that the classification does not even matter. In any event, at least for these purposes, the declassification argument is a red herring because declassifying an official document would not change its content or render it personal. So even if we assumed that plaintiff Trump did declassify some or all of the documents, that would not explain why he has a personal interest in them. He has not identified any reason that he is entitled to them. The appeals court said 
The district court abused its discretion in exercising jurisdiction over plaintiff's Trump's motion as it concerns the classified documents. To Judge Cannon's legal reasoning on blocking the federal investigation of the classified documents and ordering them handed over to a special master, the appeals court said that analysis was in error. Instead of simply disbelieving the FBI affidavit that the FBI's criminal investigation is inextricably intertwined with national, the National Security Review of the abuse of those documents, the appeals court said, we believe the FBI affidavit. The appeals court relied solely, heavily, on an affidavit provided by Alan Kohler, Jr., the assistant director of the counterintelligence division of the FBI. Judge Cannon completely dismissed this affidavit, but the appeals court said, through Kohler's declaration, the United States has sufficiently explained how and why its national security review is inextricably intertwined with its criminal investigation. No party has offered anything beyond speculation to undermine the United States representation supported by sworn testimony that findings from the criminal investigation may be critical to its national security review. And so there's the appeals court, those three judges saying that Judge Cannon engaged in pure speculation, just pure guesswork, aided and abetted by Trump's lawyers that the FBI's assistant director of counterintelligence, Alan Kohler, was simply not telling the truth in his affidavit. The appeals court was shocked at that. The appeals court made a finding that essentially means that this case really, really is all over. There will be some more procedural twists and turns, but we know now how the procedure of this is going to end. The Justice Department is going to be allowed to do whatever it wants to do. And then will come the decision on whether to indict Donald Trump, a decision that will ultimately be made by Attorney General Merrick Garland. Here is the line at the end of the opinion that tells you that there's really nothing more to discuss procedurally. Plaintiff Trump does not have a possessory interest in the documents at issue, so he does not suffer a cognizable harm if the United States reviews documents he neither owns nor has a personal interest in. Thus, an injunction delaying or perhaps preventing the United States' criminal investigation from using classified materials risks imposing real and significant harm on the United States and the public. The United States also argues that allowing the special master and plaintiff's counsel to examine the classified records would separately impose irreparable harm. We agree. word 14 hours ago Lawrence more Lawrence hey guys meet our 20 I wrote by the way I wrote like 
will sees, be two wrote, worst nights uh, of Donald Trump's. Seize his ill-gotten assets and arrest the January 6th insurrectionist in Congress. Now call the DOJ 202-514-2000. Well, today, Donald Trump met his judge, Sirica, and he met him in Brooklyn. And that could mean that Donald Trump is now on a legal fast track to a very, very bad outcome. To the FBI's search of the Florida presidents, where the FBI the found hundreds of government documents and classified documents, including some highly classified documents that the FBI found in Donald Trump's. Look at that! Desk. He's got. Look at his carpet. Look, see that carpet? I want to do that same carpet. I want to put that away. Like, uh, change mine to uh. to that. Uh, Almost kind of like a weird. That's a weird. There probably is a big cup. market in that for Trump supporters. Yeah. It's uh, Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago carpet. Ha 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 ha! All right. In his Judge John Sirica was named Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1974 because of his handling of criminal cases involving Republican President Richard Nixon. It was hmm. Judge John Sirica who ordered President Nixon to hand over the audio tapes of hmm. the president's discussions in the Oval yeah, Office. Those tapes revealed Richard Nixon's involvement in federal crimes. Richard Nixon then resigned oh the presidency and a month later was pardoned by his chosen vice president, who Ford. had become President Gerald Ford. That pardon saved Richard Nixon from becoming the first former president of the United States to be charged with a crime, and tonight that historical achievement of being the first former president of the United States to be charged with a crime this time seems ever more likely to become nail. an entry in Donald <laughs> Trump's resume. Nobody Judge deserves it more was than this motherfucker. To the federal bench by Republican President Dwight Eisenhower, and he took down the next Republican President Richard Nixon. Donald Trump's John Sirica was also appointed by a Republican president, Ronald Reagan. Judge Raymond Deary, who is now serving as the special master in the case of Donald J. Trump versus United States of America, became the special master in the case because Donald Trump's own lawyers suggested his name to the judge handling the case in Florida, asking her to appoint Raymond Deary as special master. And because Judge Deary has always I think, been I widely think the regarded DOJ as a fair-minded... should have refused to agree to an appointment of a special master and uh, saying, and say, that's, that's our, those are our doc, that's the government's documents, those are not his, he's a, he's not the president, it's not his fucking property, give us, give us back our property, and, uh, yeah, that's what they should have done, they're, they're pussyfooting around the president, the ex-president, he hasn't even conceded yet, jurist, the federal you know, prosecutors in the case, the simply agree, still hold a lot of power, oh yeah, hell yeah, right, Course, yeah. Still yeah, of course, and also all the all those nincompoops that he appointed uh, when he was president, and all the judges 
so uh, it's actually not as not as uh, you know you're, you're you could very well be right you guys could be right because the uh, about he'll get off somehow because he stacked the, the courts with a majority of his appointments um, he and Mitch McConnell they they uh, appointed couple hundreds of these activist judges, you know, what exactly what they were inexperienced and, and they're going to be there for, you know, it's a lifetime appointment, so going to be making shitty decisions for decades. Agreed to Donald Trump's choice of Judge Deary who serves in the Eastern District of New York in Brooklyn. And so it was in the federal courthouse in Brooklyn today where Donald Trump, who was born in the adjacent neighborhood of Queens, was told something that Donald Trump's parents oh, never told him. Rebuild your gums and teeth with this soft mineral, and you'll never have to... to what? How sad that this is the history that's going to be left to the future generation. <laughs> Well, no, we needed a, a little bit of a comeuppance, I think, because uh, I think we're too big for our britches. We're fucking arrogant and, and uh, obnoxious as a nation. Can't have your cake and eat it, too. That's actually something parents have been telling children for literally <laughs> hundreds of years, beginning in medieval England, where <laughs> versions of that sentence were passed around in the 1500s. In 1611, the English poet... John Davies, put it in a way that actually makes more semantic sense than the current version when he said, a man cannot eat his cake and have it still. <laughs> Judge Deary conducted a meeting with mm -hmm. the lawyers yeah, on both sides of the case in his Brooklyn courtroom today, and tonight Donald Trump is probably throwing his cake. <laughs> Judge Deary scheduled the meeting for oh, 2 p.m. and remarkably entered his courtroom precisely at 2 p.m. according to our first guest tonight, Andrew Weissman, who was in the room. That kind of precise adherence to schedule to anyone who has spent much time in courtrooms is remarkable. It's just a remarkable way to start a 2 p.m. court session, exactly at 2 p.m. Judge Geary was quick, he was simple, he was direct. His first question was to the Trump lawyers, quote, is there a real dispute about the property inventory? Donald Trump's lead lawyer today, former federal prosecutor James Trusty, spoke in response to that question for a couple of hundred words, but didn't answer it, to which Judge Deary said, so the answer to my question is, you don't know whether there is going to be a real dispute to the inventory. Mr. Trusty, that's fair. Judge Deary covered some mechanical details about how most of the 11,000 documents in the case can be made available to Donald Trump's lawyers. Then Judge Deary turned to the most important documents, saying, quote, the government, of course, wants the classified documents off the table for the moment, at least. I understand that. We're dealing with presumably highly sensitive information. If I'm going to verify the classification, what am I looking at? Is there a claim? that the document is classified that should not have been classified? Is there a claim that something was labeled purposefully classified that isn't? The reason I ask is if the government essentially gives me prima facie evidence that these are classified documents and you, the Trump lawyers, for whatever reason, decide not to advance any claims of declassification 
which I understand is your prerogative, I'm left with a prima facie case of classified documents. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. <laughs> Donald Trump's lawyers didn't think that was the end of it. They said, we're not in the position without having seen the physical evidence and without having a chance to fully explore what these documents purport to be to tell the court in good faith that I know I have an argument to be made about classification, to which the judge said, well, you did bring the lawsuit <laughs> and make that claim. <laughs> now, in Judge Aileen Mercedes Cannon's courtroom in Florida, Trump's lawyers could get away with making statements like that. But not today. Not in Brooklyn. Not with Judge Deary. Judge Deary suggested the clear possibility that the Trump lawyers would not be allowed to see the classified documents in this case, and that Judge Deary himself might not even look at them. Judge Deary said, let's you not shouldn't. belittle the fact that we are dealing with at least potentially legitimately classified information. The government has a very strong obligation, as all of us do, to see to it that that information doesn't get in the wrong hands. It's not just a matter, it seems to me, of being cleared. It's a matter of need to know. And if you need to know, you will know. That's the way I see it. If I can make my judgments without... I don't want to see the material. It's presumably sensitive material. If I can make my recommendation to Judge Cannon right or wrong without exposing myself or you to that material, I will do it. That's awesome. Before the meeting with Judge Deary at 2 p.m. today, the Trump lawyers filed their response I he had a nice, a to the Justice face, Department's appeal of the case seeking Judge to exclude Deary. the classified documents from the special master really process. Like the Trump lawyers, once again... Classified the case as, quote, a, a document before. storage dispute that has spiraled out of control and said, quote, the government wrongfully seeks to criminalize the possession by the 45th president of his own presidential and personal records. The problem for the Trump lawyers is that possession it's is a crime. Of possession of these records <laughs> is a crime. It is legally true that former presidents have access to many of the records that were found in Donald Trump's home access, but presidents are not legally allowed to take them home and own them. The Trump lawyers repeatedly played the classification game in their filing, the appeals filing to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, referring to, quote, the government's contention that the approximately 100 purportedly classified documents were, in fact, classified. But the Trump lawyers refused to say, again, that the documents were not classified, and Donald Trump's lawyers, in writing, went so far as to invite a criminal prosecution of Donald Trump to determine whether the documents are classified and whether or not they belong to Donald Trump. The Trump lawyers actually said in writing whether some of the listed property does not, in fact, belong to President Trump is a matter best dealt with on summary judgment or at trial huh. or at uh -huh. trial uh -huh. there are uh -huh. donald trump's lawyers in writing today to a federal appeals court saying the way to determine who should have these documents is to charge donald trump with federal crimes and put him on trial <laughs> oh, after please. a day of trump please. lawyering like today 
Donald Trump on You don't trial. have to be a TV <laughs> fiction drama writer like I used to be to be left wondering. If Donald Trump's lawyers secretly were working against him, God, wanting him to so. be convicted of crimes, would they have done or said anything different today? I mean, think about it. It was Donald Trump's lawyers who suggested Raymond Deary as the special master, the special master who said today that he might not even look at the classified documents before ruling in favor of prosecution. And it is Donald Trump's lawyers who have told the special master and the appeals court that the way to find out if Donald Trump <laughs> is going to claim that he declassified those documents while he was president is to charge him with a crime. They are inviting. Don't stop threatening us with a good time. To charge him with a crime. The <laughs> highest <laughs> price lawyer in the room today, the one dollar Trump paid three million dollars of his contributors' money. Didn't say a word, not one word. <laughs> and he's considered the most competent lawyer on the Trump side. <laughs> At what point does Donald Trump begin to wonder? He got three million dollars. Which side are his lawyers really on? Oh. Let's imagine for this a moment that this tiger represents. I'm loving this. I'm loving on this. Since climate change. You know what I mean, jelly bean. The developments of the day uh, in in the Trump case, and what will ultimately be Merrick Garland's view of this. Special case. master challenges Trump legal well, It seems team. to me that the developments <laughs> of the day were all, all right. Designed to make clear that the rule of law that Merrick Garland so yeah. thoughtfully spoke about when he was introducing new citizens to the United States of America, that the rule of law is going to prevail. A split screen would have shown that almost yeah. at the same time that Merrick Garland was wait. giving that speech praising the rule of law. Donald Trump was addressing a rally, and he was embracing QAnon, and he was saying in no uncertain terms that if they come after me, then there's going to be hell to pay. There will be violence. There will be terrible problems. Yeah, and then... The Republican Party or the Trump supporters or where's QAnon? I think I think it's um, I think Trump's behind it, but he denies <clears throat> he actually you know lied of course and said he didn't know any he didn't know anything about it. But he's he's like giving um, messages <clears throat> coded messages, like he said in a speech that there was a storm coming. That's that's. Um, that's a shout out to the QAnon crowd, um, which was talking online. They're out. They were on like 4chan. There's this. Have you ever? You probably haven't heard of it because you you don't even don't know how to operate a computer. But there's this thing called 4chan, and it's it's like a a little haven for um, right wing um, nuts. To congregate and uh, organize mm. themselves. But yeah. There you go. And he's speaking to a go. crowd that is giving what looks frighteningly like a Nazi salute. They're raising their hands with one finger, 
hearing this monstrous speech, it seems to me that what happened in the courtroom today was what happens when grown-ups take over. <laughs> you know, Andrew Weissman compared it to the feeling that an astronaut might have on returning to Earth. I think of it as the feeling that I had when sort of returning from the fantasy land of watching Judge Cannon ignore all the canons of the law and simply right on. <clears throat> doing what seemed sensible Professor. to her in order to help Donald Trump, returning from that fantasy land to the classroom that I used to teach in, where the law actually had something to do with the outcome. And that was like returning to Earth. And it seems to me that because Donald Trump's lawyers clearly have no case to press, <laughs> they say, we're just not ready to tell you whether any of these documents have been declassified, <laughs> even though our client on what he calls truth social hints that they were. And the judge quite rightly presses and says, but didn't your client bring this he lawsuit? Isn't it his burden to establish that he has some basis uh, to get these documents back rather than have them protected as secrets that belong to the government? When that happened, it really seemed to me that the game was up. And what does it all mean? What it all means is that quite apart from whatever indictments come down from Georgia and quite apart from whatever indictments come down for attempting to overturn the election and fomenting a violent insurrection, it's impossible not to indict Donald Trump for violating the Espionage Act. We're violating it by withholding top secret government information, knowingly, willingly, after being advised by his lawyers that they uh, that these documents had to be returned to the government, uh, and for doing that in an unsecure location. That's a very serious crime, not just a technical crime. It's not just a matter of of uh, some dispute over storing things in one locker rather than another. This is espionage, and it endangers the security of the United States. So Merrick Garland won't have any choice. It used to look like a hard decision for him. Now it's really quite an easy one. It's going to be tough for the nation to swallow, but even tougher for all of us in the long run would be to swallow this the specter of someone violating the national security laws of the United States and getting away with it. That just can't be the law. And I think what we saw in a serious courtroom today, presided over by a mature judge who knows what he's doing, uh, what we saw is a glimpse of what is going to come down, and that is Donald Trump will finally, for the first time in his life, be held accountable. And I Yay. think the United States will be the better for it. The, the Trump are, lawyers uh, have argued the themselves into a truly terrible corner where they find themselves in I'll writing right. today saying the way to find yeah. out whether these documents are classified or not is to put Donald Trump on trial. They, they actually invite it. And and I, I think of you as a, such a you're, you're our most highly experienced uh, appellate <laughs> expert we could have here. 
uh, lawyers in appeals cases have to be so careful of every single word they choose and to to find themselves writing down into that corner where they end up saying at the end of the sentence, uh, you know, or in a trial, uh, it would seem they'd have to they should do everything they can to make sure they don't end up saying that. You would think that, and I doubt that they are getting any very kind comment 